0: hey everybody welcome to another episode of the brave new workforce Uh, i'm your host trip odell and as usual i'm joined by my co-host anna kadina and larry cornett and today we're joined by a special guest one of our brave new apprentices brian Doolin, remote from washington dc Uh, brian's here because today we are talking about the first in a series about education which is a foundational piece of infrastructure in any modern economy uh and one of the things that we're most concerned about is that the wheels are about to come off the economy so uh this is something that we've all been tracking for a while but um larry what are your thoughts on this i mean you're the guy that went end to end with the phd and super fancy and lots of time in school like things have changed a little bit in
1: education what why are we worried about this Falling apart. Are you trying to to break my heart? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I think uh, there was a time, definitely, when an advanced degree came in handy, but I think things have changed a lot. Um, And there's been a lot of people questioning the value of higher education, you know, in professions that don't require certain types of skills. So everybody wants their surgeon to have a degree, (laughs) everyone wants their lawyer to have a degree. But the question is, for some of the liberal arts degrees, should you really be going to college and spending sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that degree to work in a field where you probably could learn a lot of that on the job? And a lot of education can occur online now. So I would say the entire world, I know definitely in the U.S., we're starting to question what the path is going forward.
0: Well, and there was a a recent interview on Anderson Cooper 360 with, uh, professor Scott Galloway out of, uh, New York university. And he's, he's been ringing this bell for a while. And it was a, if you haven't seen it, you should go check out the interview and watch it at length. It's about eight minutes it, but he really sort of lays it out in pretty stark terms, you know, things like in the last 40 years, education has gone up 1400%. It's the only industry that's, uh, outpaced. Uh, U.S. healthcare costs, um, you know, there, you've got 4,200, almost 4,300 universities in the United States across the board, you know, most of them don't have huge endowments, can't weather this sort of uh, disruption, but uh, because of that cost, you know, you've got families taking on $150,000, $200,000 for a basic education, and you've got this sort of demand problem on both sides, people that are really looking, taking a hard look at is it worth it to go two hundred thousand dollars in debt for an education you know for say an english degree um useful skills highly relevant but not doesn't pay two hundred thousand dollars coming out the door uh and uh are companies willing to pay for the value of that degree at the same rate that those students are paying so you've got you've got a market demand problem and so that's why we've asked Brian who's one of our brave new apprentices Brian is is a uh, is is in college uh and uh is coming on and we've we've sort of formed this this his work with us and, and uh, one of our other apprentices Anna Michelle around something that is really much more than an internship much more than it's really a, a process of formation and helping him see what work is like in the real world outside of school and a lot of students don't have that kind of exposure so brian why don't you say a little bit about yourself
2: my name is brian dolan i just finished up my second year studying digital media at the university of maryland i'm based right outside washington dc have been my entire life went to gonzaga college high school in washington dc and basically i just started kind of looking outside of school and looking forward into possible career paths I could take on this summer when I landed in this position. I now have working for brave new workforce, producing, um, scripts, scheduling, things like that. So it's kind of a first step for me in a possible career path that I'm really excited about.
0: Okay. So Brian, tell us a little bit about your journey as sort of from high school. You've, you've been out of high school for a couple of years. Why did you decide to go to college in the first place? I mean, it's super expensive. That's no secret. So uh, what led you to that decision?
2: As much as you look at it, college has kind of become something that you just do when you go to, like I did, a private all-boys school in my area. It was just kind of the norm. I'd always just assumed I would be going to college. I never gave it that much thought until I was actually in the process of applying to it. And I started to think about the financial tolls it takes that played a big part into where I looked to go to school. Um, The in-state tuition was a big factor for me. So University of Maryland always just seemed like the choice if I got in there. And I didn't really think of much of a backup plan if I didn't get into the school. I would like to think I would have gone somewhere, but I really only applied to two schools. And it was just seemed like the thing to do. My older brother went to college, everyone in my family did. So I was never really in the position to explore other options. Did you know what you wanted to major in? I had no idea what I wanted to major in. I was... Do do you know now? Not quite. (laughs) I know I want to do something in media that involves writing. That was what I came into school knowing. I wanted to do some form of writing. So I started off in the journalism school in Maryland, which is a very good journalism school. A lot of uh, great reporters have come out of there. And I slowly realized that news writing wasn't for me. Just wasn't really my interest. I wanted to be on a kind of media writing, but the more creative aspect of it, that's always where I felt I thrived. And so it's kind of been that journey of finding where my skills best translate. Um, that type of writing comes into different aspects of media, whether it's producing a show like this or maybe something more creative or still reporting but in a different more narrative way.
0: So, do you, are you have you just switched up classes and you're getting classes that give you all of that? What kind of classes have you been taking that are going to prepare you for that job?
2: classes I've been taking so I knocked out my first year um a couple of news writing, news history classes and then when I switched over, I switched over to more um communication classes where they start you off learning how to it's communication kind of writing for speaking, so that time of type of writing for speech I've taken. I also took a screenwriting class this past fall, which was something that it was a type of writing I'd always been interested in, and it gave me a look on how to kind of tell a story in a better way and so it was something that opened me up to a new style of writing and right now i don't I haven't taken any for the type of digital media production that I'm kind of doing this summer, but I kind of have these notches on my belt of different styles of writing that I think as a whole make my writing style kind of well-rounded and just touches a lot of bases.
0: So like what's been different in terms of your expectations coming in to this experience? Like did you feel well prepared to, to work on this kind of an endeavor? What have you learned this summer? What's how would you sort of characterize this type of an experience where it's been much more of an apprenticeship? We talk a lot about career. We talk a lot about choices. We talk a lot about potential paths in our one-on-ones and sort of, we talk about things like racy and you're using all sorts of new tools. How has this shaped your experience? And you know, if this was an alternative coming out of high school, was this a path that you would have considered say over university? Like if you could join a company and do this sort of thing.
2: For me personally, I think this is something I would definitely prefer. Maybe that's just how I am. But coming into this summer, I had never produced a podcast. Me and my buddies in high school tried to put one together and we just sat in a basement on someone's old Mac computer and recorded it. But I knew this would be different. So on my first day, I was thinking, these guys are pros. This is, I'm in way over my head. But within like a week, two weeks, you start to see that Everyone's learning in some aspect, and when you're learning with someone, it makes you learn much faster, and you just get out, you enjoy it more. You're not being talked at, you're being talked with. And so I think if I'd had this option, coming straight out of high school, to go somewhere where it was something you were immediately interested in, you weren't wasting your time taking general education classes, I think it's something I definitely would have preferred, but I'm happy that I got it at this point in my life.
3: Now, when it comes to your peers, do they also kind of have the same feeling as you do in terms of not knowing what they want to kind of major in or study? Or do they think college is a worthwhile investment? What are you um, seeing from from people of your age?
2: Um, a lot of my peers in college have gone down the business route. And Maryland has a great business school, and they give a really clear cut and good path for the students, it seems, from who I've talked to. And so they're on kind of the, you get on a track when you get in the business school and it's pretty straight as opposed to the one I'm taking, which is, it has all types of wines and twists. And so I think in their cases, a lot of them are happy with the what route they've taken, which is why in school people learn different ways and in life people take different paths. And so I think they, for for the most part, I don't think they would have many regrets in the way they've gone through. And I think the school has treated their major, what they've gone into has treated them in the way that they would prefer to learn.
0: So Brian, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you, things that you weren't anticipating coming into this summer um, where we've never met, you've never met any of the hosts in person, right? Uh, The upside of that is that you've only ever had to make coffee for yourself this summer. Um, there's no, there's no picking out, you know, the types of things that usually get delegated. Like, what have you learned? I mean, first of all, you kind of got to see how the sausage is made and how messy some of these creative processes are, and you've experienced a bunch of new tools, but this has probably been challenging from your point of view on onboarding and how do you work around a three hour time shift? Like what's been the most surprising, biggest learning opportunity for you this summer?
2: I think something that was really surprising is just how in creating something like this, priorities are gonna shift on a dime and you have to be ready for that. You could be halfway through a week and you've been working on one thing that you think is gonna be ready to go on Thursday. And then Wednesday night, you get the message that we're pivoting to this. Can we have this done by tomorrow? And it's something that you're not expecting, but you have to roll with it and make sure it gets done. And so I think that was kind of challenging Because in school, you have your calendar, you have due dates for assignments, and you plan around that, and that doesn't change much unless something in your personal life changes. That's when priorities shift. But doing something like this, someone signs on for an interview, someone drops out for an interview, we have to record a different episode. I think just learning that when you get into life, everything isn't going to be as clear cut and organized things can change. I think just being able to grasp that, the younger you are, the more prepared you are to go forward. You
1: know, one of the things that I've been struggling with is that I have mixed feelings about what's been going on with this shift to education going online. And a lot of people asking the question of, well, is this even necessary anymore? Can people get an education completely remote? And do we have to still have these campuses, these physical campuses. And I'm kind of torn because I see even with my children who are studying things like environmental science and marine biology, it's like they need a lab. They need to be able to go out in the field and collect samples and do research. Even the degree I got in psychology, we ran research in labs. And some of that you could do online, some you can't. So I think there is an interesting split between the types of degrees and the types of studying that could be done completely remotely online with like virtual seminars and things like that. And then some of it, like I, I have some friends that are majoring in chemistry. It's like, you can't do that at home. <laughs> so I don't know if you have friends who are in different majors and doing things like the physical, physical sciences, but how are they feeling about not being able to do the kind of research they used to do and be able to go into a physical place to do work with their professors and other students?
2: I think that's taking a toll on everyone in a lot of different ways, too, because I have friends who have been studying, like you said, microbiology, going out into streams and around, meeting up, and you just can't do any of that. And it's hard to get that same appreciation for that field when you're sitting on a computer at your desk inside all day. And also, I think it's tough for a lot of these professors their whole life have taught in person. And so students, I know some kids in any type of class have gotten robbed of the same learning experience because some of these teachers just aren't prepared to go to a fully remote teaching style. And so they dial it back. And all of a sudden you're in a class where it's just a waste of a semester where you're not even learning anything.
0: I think that's a really important insight, Brian, because the, as a former teacher, uh, one of the things that a lot of teachers don't appreciate is that What's called the pedagogy—the way that you teach—changes when you move online. And you know, just like companies that are trying to struggle with what this change to remote means, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You've got to do what works for a particular major or a particular discipline. Now, ironically, universities make a killing on programs like uh, executive MBAs, where you have busy executives that are doing most of their co- coursework remote, but then they have these multiple times of year where they are getting together in person, diving deep, having high quality interactions with their cohort. They're going on two week capstone trips overseas to look at how things are done in other parts of the world. And I think that really scales well to the type, you know, like it doesn't have to be all in front of a laptop.
1: You know, I think you've brought up kind of a, and intangible that a lot of people are not bringing up. And it is it is the benefit of the social interaction. I mean, I think about how much I changed by going to college and being around people from all over the world, professors that were completely different than the grownups I had spent my, my childhood with. And it wasn't even necessarily the coursework. So it's like, could I have read books and done a lot of that online? Sure. Would I have broadened my view of the world and changed and grown up as much as I did? Sitting at home? Probably not. So, I mean, that's one of the things as adults, we've been talking about this need for social interaction, missing our coworkers and things like that. I think it's a big part of the experience for college students too. It's like being around a lot of other young people, a large number of young people, probably for the first and last time in your life. And how much are you guys missing that, Brian, that social side of things?
0: One of the really interesting things, just, uh, with that, like if you could have those high quality interactions, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is Larry and I have met, we've known each other for years. We communicate almost on a, on a daily basis. Um, and we've met exactly two times in person. Uh, the first time we met where we were speaking at a conference and then, uh, sort of as a capstone to when I was a coaching client of his, um, where we just sort of wrapped things up and I flew down to Sacramento to see him. Right. But a lot of the people that i've met through larry or with larry i i mean they are among the people that i that i socialize with on a regular basis that's actually how i met anna and we've done this this podcast completely remotely so i think it is possible to have those meaningful relationships yeah, that's a good um, point. yeah yeah anna and
3: if it helps um i have never met larry and i've known him In for uh, like 5 years 4 years <laughs> Isn't something that crazy? ridiculous yeah mm-hmm. so um a lot of my friends I've, I haven't met, but we still are really good close. You know, I have a friend in Thailand, for example, and we've never met, but we still do like regular weekly calls, you know? So it is completely possible to build long-term friendships over the internet without, um, without really skipping a beat, you know?
0: Well, absolutely. And I think like jumping back to the financial part of this, right, is that, one of the things like coming from the financial piece of like why startups are valued at like 10 times, it's that like software scales, media scales. Like if you have this library of things that university professors are giving a lecture, you need to give that lecture really well once. Uh, and then you can focus on the quality of the interactions with students, whether it's over remote or it's in an in-person seminar type thing. So I think like, there's a bit and you can serve more people with that. So I think there's a bunch of different models that could come out of this. What do you guys think of that?
1: Well, I was I was just going to say as a I think the only parent here with kids in college <laughs> who's paying for college, I'm starting to question the cost. I mean, you brought it up earlier trip is like the cost of college is astronomical compared to what it was when we went through college. And I'm looking at these increasing costs, I'm looking at it all being done online. And that was one of the questions I know Galloway had is like, should we really be charging this much for an education when it's all being done virtually? And I just got a bill today and my daughter's being charged for access to the student union that she can't visit. She's being charged for recreational fees for a gym she can't visit. And I can't believe the colleges are still charging us. And so when we talk about them being disrupted, part of me's a little sad. I have good memories from college. Part of me says it's overdue. I think they've gotten a bit greedy. I look at what's happening right now. They know that everybody is struggling. Millions of people are out of work and they're sending bills for services the students can't even use. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous.
3: Now, um, I have a question coming from an outside perspective. Now is the reason why college tuition grew substantially was due to the ability that you could take student loans out from the government and they would basically subsidize this Is this some a reason why it's so expensive um because they know that they have the backing of the government to basically eat or catch any any of the of the the expenses basically
0: that's definitely part of it. The lending institutions those guaranteed loans that uh, whether or not you're credit worthy have always been sort of cheap and easy uh and then congress switched the deal on like how that in, you know that interest accrues or you know being able to write it off if you're bankrupt or whatever but one of the things that drove that is that people at the tail end of generation x so i was born in 1973 um when we hit college it was a big gap like we were probably the low, the year I was born was the low point in the birth rate. So all of these colleges started to having to compete for a smaller pool. And so they started investing in these deluxe dorms and these deluxe, you know, these Cadillac on-campus experiences. And they really cared a lot about their U.S. news ranking and their competitive advantages or, or, or whatever. And and, and like my, my university that I went to undergrad was pretty, raggedy when I, when I got there, it wasn't terrible, but it was, I was not in a deluxe dorm. Now it is, it's gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful. They've invested tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in the campus over the years that since I graduated. So, so I think there's a, there's a number of factors that um, the market and demand has changed. Um, And, but they've, they've priced themselves
1: well beyond what people are willing to pay. I think that's a huge part of it, what you just said, is that I was I was the first person to go to college in my family. And so it did not used to be a thing. I mean, it was rare, very rare for someone to go to college. It was a big deal. They're like, oh, I'm going to college. And then, well, more people are going to college. And then it was like, everybody's going to college. And it's expected. Everybody has to go to college and then graduate school. And so it is that market demand that, hey, if everybody's going to go to college and it's not that exclusive anymore, then colleges can continue to ramp up the fees because you're going to pay it because you've assumed you have to go to college.
3: A little bit about my family. I mean, my grandmother and my father's side was the first one to go to college. And then my father was so rebellious that he was like, I'm not doing that. I hated school. And so he made conscious decisions not to, do, to pursue an education, basically. And then when he had us, it was kind of the same thing, where he was just very unhappy with the level of education he received as a child. Um, he grew up with with a pretty good uh, educational background, um, access to things, but the teachers were terrible. Uh, he wanted to read his books, and nobody really let him do that. So it it kind of put a very distaste, a disdain in his mouth about uh, how education should work. And when he decided to raise two girls, AKA my sister and I, um, he was like, I'm going to homeschool you because I think the uh, the level of education would be much better if it was done within the house. Um, The access to education, you can learn whatever you want. If you want to go off and learn about chemistry, you can. Um, One of the biggest, I think, Points that people gave him and my family was what about the standard level of education? Like, how are you going to know that they're going to be capable in chemistry or algebra and et cetera, et cetera, of all these different types of useful uh, subjects, right, that you learn in high school? How do you know if that's going to translate in a homeschool environment? And one of the things he said was, do you still remember how to do algebra? Like, is this something you use today in in the line of work that you do? And he's like, why spend two, three years learning subjects you're never even going to use or be relevant to you? And now with technology advancing, I mean, if it is relevant to you, you can go down to the library. Back then it was like a library. You could go down to the library, pick up a book and learn it. Um, throughout his career, he's been thrown into his situations where they ask him, hey, can you do this? And he'd go, sure, and then go down to the library, pick up five books on the subject, spend the whole weekend learning about said subject, and then be ready to go by Monday with uh, as a knowledgeable expert. So this is something that I think not a lot of people talk about um, outside of a, a school institution because we feel like we need a, a whole basis of, of uh, foundation in order for us to function as individuals. But is that really the case? Is that really necessary in order to get the education you need for today's environment, which is super fast paced? Things change on the regular. Um, I don't think learning found, quote unquote, foundational pe- pieces anymore might be as relevant uh, to to the job workforce.
1: I, no, I think that's an excellent point. I, I would say my favorite undergrad professor stood in front of the room. This is statistics professor. And he said, I cannot teach you everything you need to learn. No way. The world's going to change. You're going to get to work. It's going to change. He said, what I want to teach you is how to teach yourself. He said, the most valuable thing I can teach you is how to learn. And I think that's absolutely true because that's the world we're in right now is I don't care how great your degree is. Like my PhD, do I use that? Maybe for a little while. I don't use it now. If I had stopped learning the day I got my PhD and said, I'm done. There's no way I could have kept my job. There's no way I could start my own business. You have to admit I'm going to be a lifelong learner. You have to learn how to teach yourself.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And Larry, I think it's really important. Um, or I think it's really interesting that you said this, this one professor, because I think when we look back on the people that influenced our education and, and education, the intent or the purpose of education is to inform how you think and how you solve problems. It's not about the facts that you're learning, especially in today's economy, where it's really about problem solving and it's about delivering value. You remember the teachers, you don't remember the particular classes or even retain the information that you took out of the class, but it does shape the way that you think. And I think in many ways we've lost the thread of a purpose of a university education. You know, people are buying brand or they're buying the big university experience, but some of the dumbest people I've ever met went to Harvard, right? I mean, like they were their personal lives were a mess or they were just not that much better than anyone else at their jobs in these tech companies. And I've seen a lot of people that went to these Stanford and Berkeley or whatever, come into a place like Amazon or Microsoft and just hit the wall because the answers are not all laid out for you. And I've had lots of people that were high school dropouts had no prior experience, but they had the right mindset, that curiosity, that willingness to, as Anna described, I mean, Anna's had a tremendous career. Um, and you chose to go a different way, but like there, there is a, there is, it doesn't, it, it is not a predictor of success, or if it is, people are outsourcing their judgment on who's going to be great at that job by based on where they went to school.
3: And I think it's important to always look back in history. I mean, why was school created in the first place? Why was uh, university created in the first place? Um, Traditionally, it was for military purposes because we needed mass amounts of people to be able to do one good thing correctly. And um, a school system was the best way to ensure everybody knew how to use a sword or everybody knew how to do X, Y, Z with math. Um, And then that progressed into university where they needed uh, commanders or officers to command high performing um, military teams. That that is the traditional way of how the Greeks used education. Um, We've continued down on that uh, throughout the years, but it's not... Um, adapting to our environment now. It was great during the Industrial Revolution where we had factories, we had time clocks, but now we're in a different world. So where does school, how does school adapt and grow where you can get the education you need to do and perform the tasks that are required for jobs that you don't even have or will not have until 10, 20 years from now?
1: You know, it's listening to you talk, it reminds me of a lot of what we've been saying about companies that it seems like both companies corporations and universities have both grown and expanded and created these massive campuses these massive places to do things to get work done to get educated and now the impact of the pandemic has made us question both it's like do we continue to work in these massive campuses where we all aggregate people together do we continue to have Education, where everyone is clustered together, tens of thousands of people in in these spaces, where I just don't see how it's going to work, even if we get through this thing. I think it's going to fundamentally change forever. And I think what's going to happen, like we've said about corporations, is true of school, too. We're going to end up with a hybrid model where there are some things that are actually going to thrive in a remote situation where it's going to be really easy and maybe better to learn. And there's going to be some types of things where you've got to be in a setting where you can have access to a laboratory and tools that you simply would never have in a home learning environment. And, you know, it's, not to lose the point
0: of like these universities being closed down in the fall, it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, just this week, I live in Seattle, University of Washington, 105 students on frat row test positive for COVID-19 living in one house, right? The university professors are in the at-risk categories for that. Um, you know, we were out for Memorial day and you've seen these massive spikes of all these young people getting together and spreading in places like Florida and Texas, like the risk is for real. Um, but I think also, this is a great time to reconsider, as Anna said, to, to look at the way that, um, we approach this, how can you personalize this? How can you choose the exact right professor? for the subject matter that you're looking for. And that becomes part of your curriculum. Uh, Why should you have to commit everything to one university or one way of working? I mean, in the, in the day of where Amazon can personalize or Netflix can personalize everything to the nth degree, why can't you do that for education and do that with professors and do that for, have it be very student centered and lifelong, it's about lifetime value of that education and lifetime engagement
3: yeah i I completely agree, and with that um, let's t- give a couple of t- key takeaways for the audience today about education and then uh, I guess we can call it a day
0: so brian what are your what are your takeaways?
2: Well, what it sounds like is I'm just losing money <laughs> but in on a more serious note, I think the best way to go about learning is knowing that some places you might not find the answers you're looking for, but it's most important that you keep always looking for answers no matter what you're doing. I think this last semester when school switched to remote, I found that it wasn't the most effective way to learn, but following it up with this summer, I'm learning more than I have maybe at any semester at college. So I think it's just important to, like you guys said, life is all about learning. And so you Never think you know it all because you could always learn something more.
1: No, I think that's a really good point. And I think just my final thoughts on this is it's already been happening that I've witnessed with my students, my students, my, my children who are students, uh, that they have been learning from the best people that they can find online. So when we need an answer to something and we're not getting help from the professor or the teacher or whatever, we find the best resource online. So we've already been doing it. And so I think what's going to end up happening is we're going to see this transition where the best talent, the best teaching talent, whoever's really good at teaching algebra, chemistry, physics, English, writing, whatever it is, now have this online global platform to reach students all over the world. And I think that is going to fundamentally change the way we think about education and the value of these universities so I think we're going to see some really interesting disruptions over the next 2 years. We'll just have to keep an eye on it.
0: I think also um, again I'm the I'm the big optimist and and can see the big change. I think this is and we talk about the the dinosaurs and fuzzy mammals. I mean the the universities that look at like how this can be different, how they you know if you've got a 20,000 student university When you've got online and and sort of people coming in for a few weeks at a time you can easily service a hundred thousand but it is a big shift in the way that you do it it scales way better uh you can you know there was a big thing when bernie sanders was going around everybody gets to go to college for free that actually becomes viable in the same way that we said there's no no way people are going to have computers in their pocket right and everybody has a smartphone that change, but that changed, right? Changing the model makes it more accessible to more people. And I think that is a crucial takeaway right now. It's, it's a, it's a zero sum 25% of people get to go to college and everyone else is left trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. That doesn't have to be the case. And I think things like apprenticeships, like we're doing this summer, Brian, uh, and more flexible ways to pursue an education on a lifelong basis uh, that is more equitable to everyone. I think that's a huge opportunity.
3: And I think a a, a final takeaway here is that education can be fun. Um, So many times, if you get a bad teacher, you're just stuck with that teacher and it just drones on and on with a subject that you could have been passionate about, um, but just gets completely killed. Now, you can pick a good teacher for your personality type, for your... Temperament, and actually have a blast learning about a subject that um, not many people know about. You know, I my education experience, I love learning. I love getting to know new topics and. Uh, subjects because I have the ability to pick and choose good people to teach me these subjects. Education is a lifelong process. Um, As we work and evolve, um, as our society evolves, our education is going to adapt and change. There's a lot of optimism and you can definitely have a free education just by even going on YouTube. So that would be my final takeaway. Education is incredibly fun when you have the right environment to learn in. So
1: if you liked what you heard today, subscribe, leave us a rating and review. It really helps. We'd really appreciate it. You can always contact us if there are topics you'd like to hear us talk about, questions you'd like to hear us answer. If you are a company or a higher education institution that would need a little bit of help with this transition to the brave new world of remote work and remote students and remote teaching, contact us. We're here to help. Anna, where can they find out more?
3: You can find us at thebraveworkforce.com or bravenewcompanies.com.
0: And Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, this has been a wild ride on both sides in terms of figuring out this apprenticeship on the fly. Um, you and Anna-Michelle have been doing a great job for us. And uh, thanks for coming and talking to us today. And uh, now get back to work. We got more scripts we need tomorrow. and. Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Cracking the whip, time.
3: ever, ever <laughs> so, wow. huh, Trip?
0: Wow! <laughs> hey, that's this is accountability. We're we're going to be talking more with Brian and Anna Michelle as the season progresses. But this is you guys are doing a great job. It's a really great decision to to bring you guys on.
2: Thanks, I appreciate being able to talk to you guys about this and uh, having a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: So uh, that's it for today. This is uh, Trip. Anna and Larry saying uh, have a great week and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, Better days are ahead.